0: Open your Bibles to 3rd John, not the Gospel of John, not 1st John, not 2nd John, 3rd John. 3rd John, i just going to take this off, sometimes it gets in my way, there we go. Matthew 20, Mark chapter 10 describe a scene with the disciples traveling with Jesus up the steep road to the city of Jerusalem, and they were on their way to Passover, and Jesus was on his way to the cross. It would have been a a dusty day in April when they were making their way up with not just the 12 disciples, but they were probably more than that. In fact, one person we know that was with them was John and James' mother, Mrs. Zebedee. Mrs. Zebedee and her sons had a conversation some point along the way, and at some point they decided to talk to Jesus about it. So, I want you to imagine this scene. Maybe they're at some oasis on the side of the road, and Jesus is there. And Mrs. Zebedee, John and James' mother, comes in. The Bible describes that she knelt down before Jesus to ask him a petition. Her two sons are right next to her, and, and so she asks Jesus, I have a request. Would you give my sons really important positions in the kingdom that you are going to bring? She had in her mind that he was going to be this king who was going to, he was going to defeat the, the Romans and he was going to have this powerful position in Jerusalem. And so she's thinking, I want my sons. That's what all mothers want for their sons, right? I want my sons to be in these powerful positions. And the two boys spoke up, yes, grant us to sit one on your right and one on your left in your glory. They were lobbying for positions of influence, and all the disciples, they heard this was happening. They gathered around, and they were mad. How dare they ask for the greatest position? They wanted the greatest position. So then they began to just fight about this. Who's going to be the greatest when Jesus is the king? Well, Jesus rebuked them. Where did all those wars of words and the power struggle come from? It came from hearts that were ruled by self. They all wanted to be served. So Jesus rebuked them for that worldly thinking. Remember what Jesus said? Mark 10, 43, he said, Whoever would be great among you must be what? The servant. Whoever would be first must be the slave of of all. And Jesus was saying, In God's kingdom it works different than in man's kingdom. In God's kingdom, those who serve in humility and put God first and other people before themselves, those are the ones who are great. And then Jesus offered himself as an example. And he says, for even the son of man himself came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus is the example of one of the one who obeyed his father and came and served for the good of the church. Jesus called his disciples then to imitate his example of serving the church through loving sacrifice. Around 60 years later, one of those sons of Zebedee, John, the apostle John, would write a letter called Third John. And in that letter, he would recall the lesson he learned on that day. And that was what? To imitate the example of Christ. Christ lived in relationship to his father, and therefore he served the church. And that's really what Third John is all about. Those who live in true relationship with God should imitate those who serve the church. And our number one example is Jesus, but also we should look around at those who are serving and say, how can we imitate their example? So the big idea here of this text is this, those in a true relationship with Jesus should imitate those who serve the church, not those who serve themselves. In fact, look at verse number 11. You see really the only command in this little letter, Third John, it's in verse 11, beloved, he's speaking directly to Gaius, but I think this could be applied to all of us. Do not imitate evil, but imitate good. To imitate means to mimic, to follow the pattern after. If you have had a two or a three-year-old in your house, then you know what this is like. They mimic you, sometimes for the good, Sometimes not so good. Uh, Dana was telling me about a mom who bought her two-year-old's little vacuums for their birthdays or for Christmas, I don't know which one, and they bought them for, as a gift because they would, they would love to copy their mom and clean for their mom, you know, like, like their mom did. And so they gave them, to the, and they loved those things. They would go under the, the couch and they'd go under the table and, you know, when you get to be like 16, you don't want to do that anymore, right? But but the younger you are, the more you imitate. And, but the truth is, all of us imitate. We all follow examples. And he's saying here, don't follow the example of those who do evil. Do that. Follow those who do good. Who are those who do good? Well, those are people who serve the church. Serve people. They love people. They put other people before themselves. They support the gospel. Who are those who do evil? Those are people who divide the church. Those are people who cause problems. Those are people who sin against the church. And notice he says in verse number 11, he says, whoever does good is from God. The idea is from God is you live in relationship with God. You've been born again. And therefore, since God has been good to you through salvation, you do good for others. But whoever does evil has not seen God. And it's the idea that you are not in a relationship with God So the idea here is those in a true relationship with God, they imitate those who serve the church. They imitate those who serve the church and not those who serve themselves. Last week, we studied verses one through eight and saw Gaius was an example of one who served the church. This week, we're looking at verses nine through 10, and and we're going to see that Diotrephes is one who who he must not imitate. He served himself. And then in verse 12, we're going to Finally, really briefly look at Demetrius, who had a good testimony before all. But we're kind of dealing with more of the negative side today, unfortunately, but that's because we're focusing more on verses 9 and 10 and 11. But the last number of verses here really call us to imitate the good, not the bad, not the evil. And if we really are in a relationship with God, then we want to look around and say, who are those in the church who are serving the church? And who are those who have, who have served Christ in the church? And how can I follow their example? Let's read John 3. We're going to read verses 9 through verse 15. Would you stand with me as I read our text this morning? I, said, I think I said John 3. I meant third John. Flipping that around. Third John, verse 9. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. And we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, each by name. This is God's holy word. You may be seated. Those who live in relationship with God should not imitate those who serve themselves. First, you should not imitate the heart of one ruled by self. That was Diotrephes. The Apostle John was addressing the problems in a local church through this letter of 3 John. He wrote Gaius, who was a faithful church member, who was a member of God, and therefore served God's people. And then notice in verse 9, he's writing to a specific church. He says, John wrote, to the church. So this is singular. This is a local church like ours. This is a church like Lighthouse that has, a, has elders and has deacons and has preaching and has members. So he's speaking to a, a local church here. Diotrephes was a part of a local church. One of the problems in this local church was a person who exerted influence and he did so to serve himself. His name was Diotrephes. We don't really know much about Diotrephes or what position he had in the church. I don't think he was an elder in the church because I think probably John would have written him and and, uh, the church and asked for him to be removed since he didn't meet the qualifications for an elder. It's most likely that Diotrephes was an influential church member. Some have suggested it was because the church met on his property, Or maybe that he gave a lot of financial support. Or maybe he was an important person in the community. But either way, it doesn't really matter. John recognized this person was hurting the church. So John hones in on the problem here. Diotrephes had, and notice the problem in verse number nine. It was in his heart. Diotrephes liked to put himself first. Diotrephes wanted preeminence. Diotrephes sat on the throne of his own heart. Diotrephes came to church thinking about himself, what he wanted, how he could use God and and people in the church to fulfill his own means, his own desires, which was what? It was to exalt himself. It was as if he took all those things in life. Those were ingredients for him to bake a cake to celebrate himself. He used people. He used situations. He even tried to use God. And that, friend, is sin. That is what Jesus came to save you and me from. Jesus came to save you from yourself. So the scripture teaches. First, or 2 Corinthians 5.15 says, Jesus died so that we might no longer live for ourselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. And what the scripture is saying here is that every sin is a desire to serve me. All right read an article on Friday, and then watched a little video of an actress. Her name is, I think you say her name like this, Mia Maori. I think she was on a show called Sister, Sister, or something like that once. And she, this past week, announced she is divorcing her husband. She has a 4-year-old and an 11-year-old. She said the reason was this. This is her reason, because she says, I need self-care. I take care of all these kids and my husband. It's exhausting And she said this, I'm quoting, I am now loving on myself. I'm in a relationship with me. That's our world. And friends, can I tell you, that's a lonely, God-forsaken world. Jesus came to save her and to save you and I from ourselves. Sin is wanting what I want It's me being the God of my own heart, my own life. Sin is loving me more than God, more than other people. It was the self-first heart that enticed Judas to betray Jesus because he wanted money. It was the self-ruling heart that led Peter to lie that he knew Jesus while Jesus Jesus was suffering for his sins. It was the me-first heart that caused Ananias and Sapphira to to lie and boast before the church about their giving. It was the self-first heart that tempted David to look upon Bathsheba, commit adultery with her, and then kill to cover it up. It was the self-first heart. It is the self-first heart that entices you to lock the door, In lust after that image. It's the self first heart that causes you to waste hours and hours and hours on YouTube. It's the me loving heart that bursts forth those angry words at your kids, at your friends, at your family. When Jesus hung on the cross, church, he suffered under the weight of God's wrath for my sins, and my sins are the sins of the self. That punishment that he absorbed was God's wrath for your self-centered, self-loving, self-worshiping heart. And so when we think about this self-centered life, we should be repulsed by it and turned from it in Diotrephes, he loved himself first. In fact, what we're going to see is all these things in his life, this rebellion against authority, this gossip in the church, and these exclusive cliques he's going to have all come from this heart. Jesus said in Luke six forty five, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What that verse is teaching and what Jesus was teaching is you live out of your heart, you say, I, "I don't think we really believe that, right there, do we?" And you say, "Well, how do you, why do you say that, Pastor Ben?" Well, many times we give excuses. We say, "Well, you make me so angry." You ever heard that one before? Uh, maybe a mom says that to her kids, or maybe a spouse says that to their to their spouse, or maybe you say it to people at your work. You know what? That's not true. It's not those crazy kids. We, we think the problem in my life, the problem are, is out here. It's all those people. Actually, the problem in your life is in here. It's your own heart. It's our own hearts. Or maybe we say something like, oh, I, I didn't mean to say that. Yes, you did. You know how I know that? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, Jesus said. It, it came from within you. So church, we, we need to recognize that is our greatest enemy. Diotrophy, he, he loved it. He cherished what he loved in his heart, and that was himself. And We saw last week, Gaius was the opposite, right? Gaius had a healthy soul. Everyone in our society loves health, right? Oh, we should have healthy bodies and healthy souls. Gaius had a healthy soul. What does a healthy soul look like? He walked in truth. He trusted God. God sat in the throne of his heart. It was Christ ruling his heart by faith. He, he sinned. He, he had self-rule, but he confessed it. He forsook it. And he sought grace to be changed by the Holy Spirit. This letter is calling us to live in daily repentance and faith. And to be aware that, that there are people, sometimes in the church, sometimes in other relationships. And they're like... Theatrophies here, we need to be aware of those people who have self-rule and beware our own hearts are tempted in that direction. And then second, notice, because you live in a true relationship with God, you should not imitate those who serve themselves. You should not imitate the hostility that resists submission to authority. You should not resist the hostility that resists Submission to authority. Look at verse nine. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing. So the Apostle John wrote a letter to that church, and it possibly could have been First John or Second John, or maybe another letter. We don't really know, but either way, it doesn't matter because. As an apostle, John had authority over every congregate congregation. Ephesians 2.20 says that the church was built on the foundation of the apostles. That means that when the apostles wrote an epistle or they taught in a church, that they were writing, they were teaching with the authority of Jesus Christ. So when they got up there and spoke, you were to listen to them as if Jesus Christ was speaking because he was speaking through their authority as apostles. Now we have the apostles' writing. That's the New Testament. And that those writings still speak with that same authority. Diotrephes, he did not acknowledge their authority. In fact, look at in verse 9 and notice where it says the, the, the words does not acknowledge. The Greek word behind that is actually the same Greek word found in verse 10. Notice in verse 10 where he says, not welcoming the brothers. So not welcoming the brothers. Does not acknowledge. Those are the same same Greek words. So you could say it like this. Diotrephes didn't welcome the authority of the Apostle John. God had placed the Apostle John as an authority over those churches. So to dishonor the Apostle, to disrespect his authority, was to dishonor and disrespect God himself. So he says... To Diotrephes, he says to Gaius that I'm going to come and bring up Diotrephes' deeds to the whole church. And I know it says if in there, but really in the Greek it's really when. It's like I, I am coming. I'm on my way. Eventually I'll be there. Sometimes what is happening in this verse here is, is necessary. Sometimes someone like Diotrephes needs to be confronted. That's Matthew chapter 18 Verses 15 through 20, if you've never studied that text, it's a good one to study. It talks about if someone's in sin, and we know sin's terrible, right? So we don't want someone to have a terrible life. And so if we really love people, we'll talk about that with them. So in, in Matthew 18, we talk face to face. And if that person is not willing to be reconciled to God and to the church, then we, then we bring other people and say, we really want you to be reconciled. And if they continue to refuse, then we bring it to the church And why would someone do that? Why would the apostle do that right here? Well, number one, he was doing it to protect the church because he he wanted a healthy church. But also he was doing it for Diotrephes' own soul. Look in verse 11. Remember verse 11? If you do evil, you have not seen God. In other words, you're lost. You're not in a relationship with God. And that's the whole point. It's saying, listen. We want you to follow God. If you're sinning, if you're hurting people, if you're causing problems, then you're not of God. And that should cause people like Diotrephes to shake in fear before a holy God. There are people who act like Diotrephes after going through the Matthew 18 process, they don't want to be restored to a right relationship to God. In the church, so they were removed as members in church. That's why church membership is so important, right there, because church membership keeps us accountable to each other to follow Jesus Christ. What was Diotrephes doing that was so wrong? Well, first he resisted submission to authority. Notice he says in verse nine, he does not acknowledge our authority. God had placed the apostle John over that church, and he resisted that. He didn't want to submit to that. And the truth is, how you respond, listen to this, how you respond to the authorities God has placed in your life really reveals how you respond to God as the authority of your life. So you think about children, for instance. The Bible says, Ephesians 6.1, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. There's no such thing as a child in this room that's in the home, that is disobeying their parents and honoring God. It doesn't go together. If you if you huff and puff and stomp at your mom and dad, you're huffing and puffing and stomping at God. There are other institutions that God has placed in our lives that we are to submit ourselves within. Wives, God has called your husband to lead the home. Husbands and wives, a husband and wife are equal in value as persons and in their relationship with God. They're 100% equal, but God does give us different roles and it should complement. A wife, a husband should lead and love his wife. And if you're a wife, don't you want your husband to lead? Don't you want him? to love and serve you in the home. If you're a wife, God has called us in Ephesians chapter five, God has called wives to allow their husbands to do that. And to do that with respect? They're to do that by putting themselves under the leadership of their husbands. And I know this isn't popular in our day and age. This is not popular. But this is how God designed marriages to work. Marriages that glorify God Marriages that do good for everyone in the home are marriages that work together. They work together with the husband saying, I'm going to serve you and sacrifice my desires for the good of my wife because I love you. And, and in a home, a, a wife says, I'm going to respect you. I'm going to honor you. I'm going to look to you. Not that you make every decision, not that every decision's perfect, but I'm going to give you the respect that I know you desire and God would like. For me to give to you. And then, church, God has put us all under the spiritual authority of our elders. I am a man under authority. There's no such thing as Pastor Ben doing his own thing. Like, I'm under the authority of my elders on a regular basis. I have to go to them and say, This is something that you guys need to deal with. I'm under your authority. The problem is, our authorities are imperfect, aren't they? Sometimes our authorities sin. Sometimes they want us to sin, and the scripture is clear that we should never, ever obey an authority that's, getting, that's trying to get us to sin, that's tempting us to sin, or that's trying to force us to sin. That is not an authority to obey. But just because an authority is imperfect, maybe you're a lot smarter than them, you have a higher intellect than them, does not mean that you can remove yourself from the author- under the authority that God has placed on Over you. Think about Jesus. Jesus, here's God in the flesh, and yet he put himself under the authority of sinful parents. God, Jesus Christ, put himself under the authority of those who were imperfect. Ultimately, God is our highest authority, and and his word is to rule every aspect of our lives. The truth is how we honor. God's word, how we treat God's word, reveals how we honor and treat God. The most important, I really believe this is true, the most important time of your entire week is happening right now because we are listening to God's word. And how a person treats the the teaching and preaching of God's word, it reveals what they think about God. If, if coming to something like this is a time just to check something off or it's like a time to daydream or think of some great ideas for work, then it's of no profit to you and also shows really how you view God. 1 Thessalonians 2.13, the Bible says when, when Paul went and preached to them, they listened to the word of God preached not as if a man was preaching, but of, as if God was preaching. And I don't want you to think that I think I'm God at all. What I'm saying is to the degree that I am accurately Declaring what this says is to the degree that you should listen as if God is speaking. And if I'm not doing that, well, first you should remove me from the church, but secondly, don't listen to that. We are to submit ourselves to the authorities that God has placed over us, his word, our elders, those and in the institutions that God has placed us in, in church. Why did Diotrephes resist submitting to authority? Why did he he resist submitting to John? Well, authorities were a threat to him, a threat to self-rule. I think right there, that's probably many times the reason why people don't want to be church members. They don't want to put themselves under an authority because they don't like being under authority. Who does? We're Americans. We're independent. We're not under any authorities. Yes, we are. God has placed us under authority, and we are to obey and submit to the degree that that person, or to, to, uh, as if God was the one who was our authority over us. Next, because you live in a true relationship with God, you should not imitate the habit of speaking gossip and fighting for self-affirming clicks. Fighting for self-affirming clicks. Look at verse number ten, John, third John, ten. He says, "So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing. What was Diotrephes doing?" Talking wicked nonsense against us and not content with that, he refused, refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Notice the first part, he's speaking of gossip. He's talking about what they say to each other. Talk wicked nonsense against us. The, the word, the Greek word behind talking is logos, logos. Words. This is speaking about words we say. This is speaking about words we type in an email. These are talking about words we text. These are words over the phone. And these words are wicked words here. Wicked means wrong. It's against God's will. How do you know if a words your words are wrong? That's a question I get from people sometimes. How do we know if our words are wrong? What's God's standard for when this is wrong and this is right? Well, God's standard is in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, let no corrupt words come out of your mouth, but only that which builds up, only that which ministers grace. So here's the standard. Are my words building people up? Are they ministering grace? If they're not, they're not words that we should speak. So the only words that should come out of our mouth or typed on a computer or texted to a friend or posted on social media are words that minister grace. And then notice the next word here, it's nonsense. This is something that is empty, foolish, profits nothing, and the last is us. That means, these words have another person as the target? So this is talking wicked nonsense against us. This is what we commonly call in our society gossip. And I think sometimes we think of gossip as like two old ladies on a phone, you know, and they're on the party line listening to everyone else and then they talk to each other about, if you don't know what the party line is, go look that up on the internet, okay? And they're talking about everyone else in town. But really, this is what gossip is. Gossip is speaking or listening to corrupt words about another person when you are not a part of the Matthew 18 solution. It's speaking, you could put texting, I guess, or typing, or listening, receiving corrupt words about another person when you are not a part of the Matthew 18 solution. This is how they might say it in Indiana. It is stepping into the manure of someone else's problems, and you are not a part of the biblical solution to clean it up. So you're, you're stepping the manure of someone else's problems, And you're not a part of the the solution to clean that manure up. What does gossip look like? What does gossip look like? Well, first of all, gossip is Satan's best friend in the church. Gossip comes dressed up in the garments of prayer and concern. Gossip sneaks into your conversations through the door of rumor and hearsay. Gossip offers the poisoned cup of self importance for you to drink. And gossip kills. It kills churches, it destroys relationships, and it drags souls to hell. And why is that? Because gossip is sin. And at the heart of sin is what? It's me. Ray Ortland describes the self ruled heart of gossip like this Gossip makes us feel included to know the inside scoop. Gossip makes us feel powerful to cut someone else down to size. Gossip makes us feel righteous, even responsible to pronounce someone else guilty. Gossip is speaking or listening to corrupt words about another person when you are not a part of the Matthew 18 solution. So let me ask a question. Was John gossiping here? He's talking about diatrophies to the whole church. Eventually, Gaius passed this on to the church, and now to all of us. Well, the answer is no. How do we know that? Well, John was writing these words as the overseer. He was initiating, he was a part of the Matthew 18 process. His goal was to restore Diotrephes. So this was not gossip. It's not gossip to, to To see someone in sin, to call them to repent of their sin, and to ask them to be restored to fellowship. It is gossip to hear and do nothing. Well, I'll I'll let someone else deal with that. It's gossip to listen and then just pass it on. Diotrephes was spreading gossip, but also another habit he had was of fighting for self affirming clicks. Notice verse 10. So if I come, I will bring up what he's doing, talking wicked nonsense against us, and not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers. So here here are these gospel workers that are coming to this church, and Diotrephes says, no, we don't want them to come. Well, why not? He's with the apostle John, and we have a little thing going on here. So some other people say, well, we don't mind. We'll we'll invite them to our house. Like, they gonna be a part of our life, you know, and maybe diotrophies, maybe the church met in his house. So he was like, they're not allowed to come in our church. They're not speaking in our church. So he exerted this influence. It's kind of like picking teams in the playground. Did you do that growing up? I don't even know if they allow you to play in the playground anymore at schools, but when I was growing up, you could, you know, you played soccer or whatever the game was. And, and, and sometimes before you even went out to recess, you're in line and there's, there's the kids that are picking who's going to be on their team. Why is that? It's like, I want that kid, he's the really big one in class. It's, you know, it's fifth grade, and he's already like six foot, and we're all still two foot, you know? And it's like, you go out there, and you're going to pick teams, and you realize, everyone on my team is small, like me, <laughs> and we're going to lose. And what's the whole point of that? Why, why do you pick people to be on your team? Because you want to win. <laughs> So you start going, hey, get on my team. And yeah, you can be on my team. Let's get this together. And that's what you see the is doing here. It's like, okay, hey, come over here. Are you on my team or not? Yes, we're on the same team. Let's talk bad about these people because I don't like that guy because that guy's a threat to me. The Apostle John's a threat. And you see these relationships, these happen in, this is going to happen in family reunions this week, right? You're going to go to a family reunion. Everyone's at the table and you're gonna, someone's going to be like, did you hear about Uncle Joe, you know? what about Uncle Joe? And so you unite. I mean, you guys are united and talking bad about someone. That's what people love to do, right? In families, at work, you go to work, and it's like the coffee room in there, and, and you go in there to get a cup of coffee, and it's like, oh, that boss, man, our boss, he's a, you know, and we're united over talking bad about the boss. And the boss comes in, and says, like, hey, boss, How, it's good to see you, boss. Great day at work here, isn't it? Theotrophy shows us this pattern of, self, of a self-serving person. I didn't read the last part. Let me notice the last part of that verse. And So he stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. And again, I don't know exactly how this looked like. Maybe it was in his home, the church was in his home, and he said, I'm, you're not allowed to come into my house because you support John. Notice the pattern here. It's a heart that's ruled by self, it's hostility to God's appointed authorities, ultimately to God's word. And there's habits of speaking gossip and fighting, using people to support yourself. So what do we do to do with all this? Like, this is like, oh, this is a lot of stuff. What are we to do with all of it? Look at verse 11. Beloved, do not imitate evil, imitate good. Whoever is good is from God. I think it's helpful for us to look around this church And we should say, who are those people in here that are doing good? And you know what? Many of you are. There was visitors that came in, and you went up and you talked to them. You're calling people during the week. Say, I'm praying for you. How can I help you? You're bringing meals to people who are sick. Like you're helping people. You're loving people. And so it's like imitate that. Let's let's identify those people now. It wouldn't be appropriate for me to do that from the pulpit here. But I think it's good for us to think through that. I, I could right now if I wanted to list, though, this person and this person and this person. This is, they're serving the church. They love God. Let's imitate those people like Demetrius. Look at verse 12. There you have Demetrius. Demetrius was one of these people. Demetrius, verse 12, has received a good testimony from everyone. Well, who's that? Well, it's probably everyone in the church. Maybe everyone in the churches around there. But you have, and, and from the truth, that's the reality. of What was happening in his heart? Then we have, and also add our testimony, and you know our testimony is true. Whose testimony was that? It's the Apostle John. So notice what's going on there. You got who was the witnesses for the testimony of Demetrius? It was his heart. It was his authority. And it was the church. Isn't it interesting? What, what if we put a chair up here and we were to call those three witnesses about you? First, we have your heart come up. What do you love? What do you really cherish? Who's sitting on the throne of your heart? What would your heart testify about you, Are you trusting God heart? Are you filled with God's word? Do you love his word? What if we next had your authorities come up here? Children, we had your parents come up here or whoever the authority is in your life, your boss, or we had the authority and that authority testified for you. Does this person honor you, authority? Do they trust you even if they don't agree with you? Do they give you room to succeed and fail, but still trust you because you're God's appointed leader? Or how about we bring up your family, and that your family or your church, your friends testify? How does this person speak about other people? Is this, the, is this person the go-to person when there's something floating around? Does this person seek to restore relationships? Are they a Matthew 18, I want people to be restored to Christ? I think all of us would be able to testify we would fall short in many of those accounts, wouldn't we? This is not the, there's the good people in the church. There's the bad people in the church. This is all of us are attacked by sin to worship ourselves, and So we confess it. And those who are to imitate are those who say, I follow Christ. I'm a sinner. I believe Jesus is the only Savior. He's my Lord. I follow him. I bow before him. Everything is his. and We seek to be changed by the grace of Jesus Christ. Notice verse 13 as we conclude. I have much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen or ink. Now, just pause right there. I want to think about this. Why would he rather not write about some other stuff with pen and ink? Well, because he says in the next verse, I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face-to-face. There's some things that are better face-to-face. Can I just tell you a little rule I have in my life? And this is, will help you. I don't talk about problems, sin problems, and emails or texting. And so if you, if you have a problem with someone else or whatever, if you email it to me, we're going to talk face-to-face. I just think it's hard to communicate you love someone. When you're through a text or an email. I had a counseling situation a number of years ago and this this husband would send these long emails to his wife when he had a problem with her. If you love her, just sit down with her and and work it out. That's what we definitely want to do. I'm in pastoral ministry. I want to shepherd you because I love your soul. I don't want to type an email to prove someone's right or someone's wrong. Who really cares? What I really care about is reconciliation with God and with brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen? And so we love each other. We sit down face to face. In verse 15, he says, peace be to you. Oh, God, please give that in our church. Peace be to you. Let the friends greet you. Greet the friends, each by name. May God's peace be with us as we imitate Christ, our perfect example, and we seek to serve like him. Would you pray with me?